This is Tony Holbein. You are listening to the Revenue Formula. In today's episode of Why You Can't Get Rid of Commissions, we're going to talk about three things. Number one, what does the research actually say about this topic? Number two, why you probably still won't be able to get rid of them. And number three, some common pitfalls to watch out for. Enjoy. They come closer, like fully aligned to like head on. <laughs> oh man, it's amazing what happens in a week, right? Yeah. No recording, and you're like, when are we gonna do it? When are we gonna do it? Yeah, I know, I know. And now we might be locked in here for forever, so we better record maybe five or six or seven or yeah, twenty episodes. This door is never opening again. No, we need I don't to go out so. the window. Yeah, it's out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how far down it is, but we'll figure it out. We'll see. But uh, we're gonna talk about compliance. Yeah. Compensation. Commissions. Um, you've done a post, a couple of posts recently, hitting on compensation. You know, CRO shouldn't maybe have a comp plan. Yeah. You've talked about the ratio, basically, for an AE, that sure, you want to have, you know, the, this level of ratio, but can the AE actually hit it? Yeah. Maybe you need to take a hit on CAC payback. And yeah. so this is a big theme. We get a lot of questions about it. A lot of the questions are usually how do you build it? And we're not going to do that. Yeah. Because you can Google it. No, this is not going to be a tactical operational, hey, you know, those three things to remember when building a yeah. comp plan kind of setup. Yeah. Also, we're not going to talk about how to automate commission calculation and all of that <laughs> stuff. Keep doing that in the spreadsheet, by the way. It's the best way to do it. But um, so the, the thing is, a couple of years ago, there was a wonderful book that came out called mm -hmm. Drive by yep. uh, this gentleman, Dan Pink. And this book really dealt with incentives and what it does to performance. And he basically sparked an entire debate in the SaaS world around, should you have compensation for sales? And um, I think the, the immediate response for me also, because it's kind of being you know, reinvigorated, that debate again, was, well, sure, let's look at what research says, because I, I don't just want to take one person's opinion for it. And although a lot of the, the studies were really, really compelling in the book, and we'll, we'll get into that stuff, what I learned is you can easily find a study showing the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. so, so there's a bit of confirmation bias happening. And what we're going to talk about is, sure, there's a lot of things in, in research, there's a lot of things happening on, on in relation to comp plans, but can you actually get rid of comp plans? That's, that's the key we want to get into yeah. and have that conversation just to have a different perspective on, on this this issue or not really issue but no absolutely and the you know the, the reason why this is interesting obviously is um those commissions those compliance that cost a lot of money and are they actually increasing performance are they are they getting you more money back than you're spending could you do it differently is it maybe incentivizing the wrong behavior yeah. you know there are all kinds of of those things that are strategically pretty important and also when you set up your revenue engine you want to think about these things, right? Because um, you need to be careful what you're wishing for, you know, putting a comp plan in place mm. because you will get exactly that behavior, yeah. right? And then there might be some, well, not black sheep, but white sheep in there that basically like are smart, you know, not smart, that's probably the wrong word, but are more thinking holistically and maybe optimizing for the whole thing instead of only for their pocket. But those will be found in between white sheep and you probably won't be able to scale your organization around those. Mm. Um, so really 
being thoughtful, setting up your comp plan, knowing what you're getting, what you're not getting, and also where the research is going recently. Yeah. I mean, let's 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 jump into it, right? Um, so in in this book, there's a couple of you know tests or you know So we're talking Daniel Pink. We're talking Dan Pink Drive. Uh, yes. By definitely, the way, great read. Definitely a good book, even though you can disprove and he also has reservations that maybe it's not about getting rid of comp plans, by the way, he's he said that it's, it's about taking a different look and challenging just how mm -hmm. things are established, right? So it, it's definitely a good book, regardless. One of the, the great examples in there is called the, I think called the candle problem, mm. right? So you have a, a candle, like the one you light with a match or lighter, right? I think everyone gets the concept <laughs> of a candle. Nicole. Yeah, but you know, yeah. and then uh, you have some thumbstacks. So you know, basically the tacks you can yeah. uh, put into the wall. And uh, they're in a box. And then the test is, can you actually, you know, hang the light on the wall uh, using what you have in front of you? And then the test is you have two groups. One is, you know, being paid a, a compensation to complete it fast. The other is not. And uh, what the test shows is if you actually have an incentive, you are slower. Yeah. And really how it goes, right? So you have this candle, you have the matchbox, and you have those those tags. needles, tags yeah. kind of things. Um, and everyone is like, okay, cool, let's try and use those needles with the candle into the wall. Yeah. That doesn't work. So, okay, let's, you know, uh, you know, use the wax to the wall and, you know, that doesn't work. And the trick, obviously, is is that the, the matchbox is not there for the matches. It's mm. there to be part of the whole setup. So you yeah. basically empty the matchbox, you use the needles to connect it to the wall, and then you put the candle on top of it. <laughs> and... <laughs> And you know it sounds pretty funny and 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 logical once you kind of explain it, right? But the the trick here is that the obvious choice of trying to just brute force the the candle against the wall, it's not working out. And really, in order to then achieve that, participants needed to show a bit more creativity, a bit more you know this typical you know thinking outside the box bullshit, in order to actually achieve the task. And when someone is being asked to be creative or think in a non-linear path, mm. money actually doesn't only not help, it actually makes it slower, right? Mm. Because you're set in this, hey, there must be a straightforward thing. I'm being timed. Fuck, the time is running out. I need to really, you know, where, you know, how is this going to work? While the, the other side is more relaxed about it and, you know, explores different ways to do it mm. uh, and then gets to the result much, much quicker than the others. Yeah. So in, in this case, you didn't only waste money on incentivizing someone to be creative, uh, it also took you longer for them to come up with the right solution, right? So this is this is one of those examples where every business leader is like, uh oh, so you know what are <laughs> what are my candle problems in my organization, and am I paying people to to try and figure this out quickly? And I think that's a great thing to to start thinking about. Yeah, and I mean, so there's a lot of examples in the books, kind of hammering on this this point, right? That incentives have the opposite effect of what you would expect, mm -hmm. basically. So the, the thing is, he, he lands at a point where if there's creative work you need to do, then incentives are no good. Mm -hmm. If you have to be just very rudimentary creative, then it's not a great thing. Mm -hmm. Versus if it's, you know, you stand on an assembly line and you just need to put in the same screw over and over, mm -hmm. then it does have an yeah. effect. Repetitive, mundane work, yeah. you know, incentives work. Um, creative, non-linear stuff, incentives uh, apparently not only not work, they're potentially even making it worse, mm. right? That's kind of the finding there. 
Um, and again, he's not throwing out all the financial incentives. He's actually saying, well, if, if you have creatives, it might actually still help mm. to give an incentive, but not to make it an if this, then that incentive. Rather make it an after the fact incentive. You know, something that someone might have not, you know, fully expected. My immediate question was, oh, how do you make that scale? I don't, I don't know how you want to scale that. But his ideas were like, hey, let's, you know, we, we figured out a cool thing. Let's all have a summer party, you know, <laughs> these, these kind of things. And, and there's, there's some merit to it, obviously. And he even kind of goes into parenting and raising your kids mm. and, you know, not paying them for bringing out the trash and things like that. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, this is how he's differentiating. So really the, the straightforward stuff and if this and that, you know, if you complete this task, then you will get this money incentive. For the creative stuff, uh, not really an incentive at the end of the line necessarily, but a, hey, oh, now that you have completed it really well, mm. here's an incentive for you or an, an achievement, a gift, yeah, something yeah, like that, yeah. right? Yeah. So obviously what I tried to do was, can I find research that looks at sales teams and how compensation works? So there's a lot of research on this, mm. but there's almost no research showing performance without comps because probably every team has compensation by the yeah. way so what i could find as as kind of a comparable is a study around paying students for their academic performance mm. and it found that yes it does have an effect and it can be you know about the demographic it can be all kinds of bias in the study but it's just to say you can find you can find the opposite view mm. where confirmation bias comes in you know, into effect, basically. Yeah. So let's maybe jump into the sales side a little bit. Mm. So interesting point right there. Couldn't find any, re I mean, it's not like you've spent weeks and weeks no. on researching no. this, right? So there might be stuff out there. But, you know, on first or second or third glance, you couldn't find anything where there was a piece of research uh, showing that specifically. So that that in itself is already a little bit interesting. I think from a more practical, you know, approach from my side, I'm sometimes just like, okay, which successful SaaS company, you know, selling software in a competitive market with competitive talents and so forth, has done that successfully? Mm. And I know there are, you know, a couple of those companies around, but none of them that I would consider like a breakout mega success. And I hope I'm not tapping on anyone's toes here that actually have been able to scale a successful sales organization without relying on commissions. Mm. And that in itself is like a very strong signal to me that, hey, there's something happening here that uh, maybe you and I are trying to explore today yeah. um, that maybe isn't necessarily a academic research thing here, right? And, and really kind of double tapping on that, it's taking some of the Dan Pink stuff. You know, maybe that's a kind of a cool question, actually. Do we believe that especially sales, so predominantly commission and sales, and we're going to talk about some of the other roles in a second. Is this a mundane, straightforward task? <laughs> or is it a creative one yeah. that, you know, uh, is actually suffering under commissions, yeah. right? I would love to hear and your take on I it. think it is, as with anything in life, it's so dependent on the business and how they run the sales process, right? I think if, if there's a lot of complexity, in closing a deal, if there's a lot of interaction with a customer on the other side where, you know, you say something and they have a rebuttal and you need to kind of adapt to the conversation, then yes, you actually need to be a bit creative in how you, you choose to tackle fear, uncertainty, doubt, whatever it is. It's certainly not an assembly line. You do need to think 
you know, tactically, how are you going to approach a certain account for, mm -hmm. for that to close win? Even what account should you prioritize, mm -hmm. right? So I do think there is a lot of creativity involved. It's a different kind than what I'm used to from a marketing perspective, mm -hmm. but it's still problem solving with, you know, with a different mindset than just, okay, screw, screw this one in, screw this one in. And, yeah. you know, so, so yes, I, I do think that, you know, logic, reason, and creativity is, is warranted. Yeah. So the thing though is everyone out here would probably say like, well, my product, that takes creativity to sell, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So what is, you know, where, where, where's the barrier here? And, you know, sometimes I think it's almost difficult or futile to, you know, have an argu you know, yeah. uh, argument about like what is creative, what isn't. I think the other perspective actually is also, you know, not only, hey, is it maybe not helping because it's a creative process, but also are those incentives maybe hurting the organization? Mm. Number one, from a, you know, I'm a sales guy, I get this, you know, opportunity, I can get some money for it, I'll close it. Yeah. Do I need to care whether or not that is going to be a great customer? Do I need to care if this customer is going to churn or cause grief on the on the customer success side? Mm. I kind of don't, right? I kind of really don't. And, you know, a lot of people had that thought before and then they were like, okay, wow, let's include some kind of churn metrics in your AE comp. Maybe it works when you have shorter term contracts. If you have an annual contract, I can, I tried it, it doesn't work, mm. you know, because it's, it's too far out. Many AEs will be like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be in this job by <laughs> in a year from now. So why do I care? And then when they are in a job, you know, in a year from now and then get kind of smacked with that penalty then they're basically saying like, well, wait a minute, I think I was a great customer, but you know, C is messed up and and now I get dinged. Mm. Dinged is the favorite word here, by the way. Yeah. Now I get dinged uh, for, for them having screwed up. No, boss, you can't do that. Now I'm missing my target, yada, yada. Right? So it's um, it's going to be very difficult to try and, you know, optimize for that on a, on a, a commission scheme mm. kind of level. Yeah. But, you know, once you peel it all back, I think, and, um, you know, having having read up a little bit and listened to some some of the thought leaders on the space on this, the reason probably isn't the specific makeup of the task or, you know, what's good and what's bad for your, for your organization. The reason probably is that you won't be able to hire an account executive right now mm. that is really worth his or her metal if you're not offering this kind of comp, right? And you couldn't just have a higher base, so higher, like, salary? You, you could, but what everyone would probably be doing is instead of, so let's just say we're talking, you know, East Coast, and maybe those numbers are even outdated, East Coast US numbers here. So we're really talking about $250,000 a year uh, OT for a mid-market, lower enterprise kind of account executive. So on-target earning? Yes, yeah. on, OTE is on-target earnings. And, and usually they split 50-50, meaning 125 base, 125 um, incentives. And you as an organization, because you will still hire some that are good and some that aren't, you as an organization now need to make a decision, am I going to pay everyone 250? Or am I going to pay everyone 175 to adjust for the decreased risk, for example, mm -hmm. right? So now you as, an, as a great account executive that always hits target and actually exceeds it, gets all the kickers that come with it, and instead of the 250, usually takes home three or 350, right? W-2s, you know, <laughs> this is kind of the, the US income tax kind of uh, paper. Uh, W-2s over 300K, right? Yeah. Why, why would you take the job of 175? Yeah. Why would you do that, right? And you couldn't, 
you couldn't pay everyone 300 because you would just be paying like wildly above market for everyone. So you're going to choose something in between. And now, you know, looking at this from an account executive perspective, and then this is a bit economics and mm -hmm. maybe it's not fully, you know, the right way to look at it. But from a, from that perspective, everyone that has been hitting below 50% or only has been taking home 175 or less will look at this number and be like, oh, I like, I like that number. Mm -hmm. Let's go for that number, which basically means that you're now hiring a bunch of people that are potentially not the strongest sales reps and all the sales reps that at least think of them, you know, honestly of being, you know, better than the 175, they will probably not go for this and go somewhere else. And those are probably the reps that you actually want to have. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I think the, you know, my, my deep belief is I don't think commission is really helping sales reps to sell better or more. It's, I don't think it's better for the organization. I just think it's fundamentally difficult to hire these people without offering what is currently sadly, but it is considered market standard. And then getting the right folks in at the right pace, you know, because yes, there will be those folks that are really awesome and are much happier with a higher base and don't have this whole commission stress hanging over them and probably will do better work. But if you need to hire 20, 30, 50 AEs in a year, can you find, can you find those specific unicorns? I don't know, maybe that's a little bit of a... <laughs> you know, big word here, but those special talent guys uh, and ladies at that pace, right? And I'm not, I don't think so. So basically we're saying one of the core reasons you can't get rid of comp plans or choose to ignore it if you're going to build a team is you need the talent in place. Yeah. And that talent, it's table stakes. It's a, it's a common practice for them in order to maximize basically what they take home. Yeah. And it's a, it's by now it's a, it's an expectation set by the market. Mm. It's, I think that's the biggest issue around that. I don't think any kind of research is gonna, you know, suddenly change the market around. I think it's a thing that has been set, and it's going to be very difficult to get away from that for a while. I'm mm. not sure what the solution is, but I think it's going to be difficult. Yeah, and I think to remove a bit of bias, maybe just throwing you a curveball. You and I spoke uh, last week as we were preparing for this this episode. And I said, are you actually, you know, pro or against comps? What, where, where do you stand? Well, I think it's a necessity. So, you know, that's that. I think that, I don't think that commission necessarily drives more or better behavior. I don't think so. I think this quarter end piece is good because it basically creates a truly believed reason for the sales rep to truly build believed urgency on the customer side. Yeah. You know, that's really helpful. And I think sales is 80% about building urgency, really. And I'm not a sales guy and someone might disagree and it's, uh, it's about building value, Tony, and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's kind of why do they make that decision now versus later, right? And, and you know, coming up with legit ideas around that, that's a lot of time being spent on this. And, you know, having your own comp plan end in two days, you will get really creative really quickly and follow up a lot in order to get someone over the line, right? I think that is extremely helpful. I think that it's fostering a environment of not helping each other, which in sales sometimes is just not helpful. It's creating a lot of friction in terms of, is it my deal? Is it yours? What do the rules of engagement say? Oh, you know, the manager can solve it. The VP needs to solve it and so forth. I mean, I've been there. Yeah. But it also creates some really nice accountability and you're good and you're bad, which, you know. Um, so I think on the AE side, um, I think I'm leaning more against, but I don't think you can actually 
build a large organization without. On the SDR side, so sales development rep, out, outbound mark, uh, sales basically, I'm totally leaning pro, mm -hmm. like 1,000%. Um, and, and the reason is, I think that job is a little bit more mundane. It's a little bit more straightforward. It's a little bit more tough. Yeah. And having having those, uh, hey, you know, book this meeting, $100 in my pocket kind of moment, it's good. It's helping. And, um, and you can also build, and it's terrible to say, but you can build like kickers and spiffs. Yeah. I think spiff is actually an abbreviation for something. I don't yeah, know what it is. Some, something performance. Sales performance improvement. Initiative. FF, I don't know. <laughs> we really prepared <laughs> yeah. for that one. <laughs> um, but the, um, you know, and, and we did this a lot. It's like, uh, um, you know, every meeting that's being booked this week gets, you know, $50 more or $70 yeah. more. And, and you see an increase. Yeah. Uh, all of those meetings, great. Well, I'm not sure. But, but you can see how that is helping, you know, uh, activities to increase and people to get really busy, right? I think also, again, it's, it's important to realize even on, on SDR level, you, you still want to go and attract talent. And if you have a high-performing SDR, it's a natural progression for him or her to become an account executive. And most likely, that's going to be a really good account exec, by mm -hmm. the way. Yep. So, so uh, you know, again, I, I think it's just important for us to remove kind of our personal opinions and, and just tell you where we actually stand. Mm -hmm. This is more logic driven at yeah. the end of the day, really. And that's also how you should approach it. Yes. And then, and I think this is a, I would actually go on to the, the CSM side here for a second. Yeah. You know, this is, I think this is a much more interesting debate. I think all the other stuff is kind of baked. You know, should I give AE's comp or not? It's like, well, you of course. probably can't avoid it. <laughs> I'm sorry. But on the CSM side, the market hasn't been set yet. Uh, the market expectation is not to necessarily have commissions. Usually the kind of talent you attract there, they sometimes do not like commissions. Maybe this is a European thing. Maybe it's not so much a US thing. And I actually think that, um, so I did it once. I started paying commission to CSMs and it, it had all the terrible uh, results you could wish for. <laughs> so what, what, what happened? I mean... You know, first of all, and this is a good thing, you know, scrutinizing the targets. Can I actually even hit 90, 95% GRR this quarter? And the thing is, if you have 90 days cancellation periods, you kind of walk into the quarter and you're like, well, I couldn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on day one, right? So that was that was like, a, ah, okay, yeah, should we, we should have seen that one coming. Um, you know, you can move around some definitions and so forth. But I think the the, the, the bigger issue there then became uh, CSMs are creating value in all different areas, yeah. not only at the renewal stage, also at onboarding and in between, and also, you know, about asking for um, customer case studies, yeah. asking for reviews on G2, asking for, you know, maybe snippets that can be used, asking for, hey, can you jump on a call with this prospective customer. They really want to talk to someone that's already is a customer mm. and, you know, figure out how this works. There are things about, hey, do you want to star in our webinar series? I mean, there's so many other things that basically the CSM needs to ask for. And very quickly, it became a, okay, how much money do I get for a G2 review? Yeah. Uh, how much money do I get for uh, this person actually <sighs> going on to the webinar? Yeah. Uh, and what if what if we close the deal from the webinar? And, you know, all of those questions, and you basically, you know, you basically then start arguing against the VP 
of that organization because, you know, he or she might see the reason for it. And, and you just get lost in this, you know, endless maze. And um, I, can only, I can only recommend everyone listening, don't do commissions for CSMs. It's a, it's a world of hurt. Now, if your definition of a CSM is more like a, so CSM is customer success manager. If your definition is more like an account manager where the CSM is actually pushing for upsells and asking for signatures and, and it's not this traditional friend of the customer, mm. um, sure, then there's a conversation to be had around commissions, but then just call that person account manager and then you will also get salespeople running in those, in those roles and then it's kind of makes a little bit more sense. But everything else around the CSM piece here I've been um, I've been burned by the experience. Let's yeah. just say it like that, and I really wouldn't recommend anyone else to do it. It's also a shame to spend more time on the comp plans than initiatives that drive revenue. Yeah, and and sometimes it's healthy. Yeah. It's good to be double checked. It's good that you know these folks are asking you as a leader to uh, how are we actually going to achieve this? Because that's a question you get a lot from account executives actually. Mm. Uh, even in the interviewing process, how many of your folks are at target? Um, you know, how many are actually have exceeded target in the last year and so forth. And uh, and basically that's shorthand for, um, you know, is the support network around those reps actually working in order to make them successful, yeah. which is obviously super important for the individual account executive, but also for you as a leader, um, hey, is my revenue engine set up in the right way? Yeah. Can I, you know, do I need another AE? And, you know, once that an AE joins, Will that AE get the support in terms of uh, opportunities or leads or mm. whatever in order to get to target and so forth? And you know that's a that's a that's a tricky thing you need to think through. Yeah. Uh, and then if you do feel comfortable, then then uh, it's it's a good you know test for you then to also hire more AEs. Yeah. So I'm thinking a bit what would be interesting. So there's a bunch of challenges you're gonna face with comp plans, and there's no way we can get into all of them because it also depends on how you set them up. But what I'm curious to hear is, what are some watch outs? If you're either running comps today or thinking about implementing it, what would you, what, what are some of the pitfalls you would you know, try and pay attention to in that process? Yeah. So number one, you need to realize that paying your best reps more is the cheapest commission you can ever get. So what does that actually mean? Basically, the best reps that are not only going 100%, but maybe 120, 150, 160%, they are kind of paying for the base salary that all the underperforming reps are, you know, costing you. Paying that person more commission is basically giving you, you know, that performance for 50%, 50 cent to the dollar mm. in that sense, right? Because base has already been done and the commission scales as it does. So thinking about paying them a lot more for going a lot over, totally do that. Never ever have a capped comp plan. People never achieve any cap you have anyway, besides those one or two times. And uh, it's it's going to be a topic on your sales floor all the time that, uh, you know, plans are capped anyway. So, <laughs> um, so don't ever do that. But also on the opposite end, you do want to... You know, sometimes I see plans where, hey, this person isn't getting anything until they hit 50% or 70%, you know, basically pay their salary back and stuff. Uh, <laughs> maybe that works in like SMB motions where, where that, you know, can, can you know, fit the, the talent. 
But especially if you're thinking mid-market and enterprise, you also want to create some incentives for them not to give up on the quarter. Yeah. And you know, you could call it sandbagging. So sandbagging really means, oh, I have this deal. Maybe it's right if I were to push, maybe they would, but I don't get any commission for it this quarter anyway because I'm failing. Yeah. So let's push it over to next. Yeah, yeah. Right. And don't do that. Give give incentives from the start, you know, get this, get this away. And then the the other thing is if you're not in enterprise motion, so enterprise mode. So I think what you should consider setting something like that up, and we're getting to some of the technical stuff here. Um, that your sales cycle shouldn't match the cadence. So what does that mean? So you're in an SMB, you sell something two weeks tops, maybe you have monthly targets and that's okay. If you're in the mid-market and you have sales cycles that are 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, you know, quarterly targets is great. If you're an enterprise and you have six to nine month sales cycles, annual targets is the right thing to go yeah. for, right? And if you... If you're an enterprise guy and have annual targets anyway, then that's what it is. But um, for a mid-market and below, you know, put things into place that give them the ability to, uh, you know, catch up uh, towards the end of the year across those quarters. Mm. Basically, kind of if they can at the end hit the whole year, even though having not been great, you know, one of those two quarters, they should still be able to get like a massive payout and stuff because fundamentally that aligns them with you as a business you you know yeah you you want to you want to have this thing end on the calendar year in the right way so i would kind of i would think about these things and yeah. and don't be stingy with your best guys uh, and, and ladies it's usually those are the cheapest ones i think there was some good good takeaways hopefully also helpful like we said in the beginning there's a ton of things you can find on google in terms of how to actually build it yeah this was really intended to give a different perspective maybe not get lost in this should we even have it conversation mm. Um, it really depend on on the business at the end of the day. And by the way, I think we could probably talk, you know, for another hour or two also because we haven't been in the studio for. Yeah. Wh for a week. What about what about marketing? Shouldn't they be getting like a commission? Yeah, I think no, they should. I think yeah. so, right? Podcast because it's produced. not that a creative process anyway, right? Because. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks a bunch. Yeah, thanks a bunch, and uh, thanks for listening out there. If you have any questions about comps or anything else relating to building a don't don't awesome send. <laughs> Send them in, and maybe at some point we have enough to do a you know Q and A episode. That oh yeah, that'd be cool. Fun, so um, hoping to hear from you. We're still getting a lot of feedback, and we're absolutely loving it. Yes. So appreciate you listening, and uh, have a good one. Thanks Bye. a bunch. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, bye bye. bye.